If you got your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and then 1 Kings chapter 17, or 1 Kings chapter 17, we will continue our study of the life of Elijah and also of the life of King Ahab. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever needed something that was scarce before? Have you ever needed something that was scarce before? Some of you are like, yes, toilet paper, 2020, needed it terribly. There was a moment where I was really frightened there for a little bit. Um, because we have uh, young children, there was a day where we had, Autumn and I had uh, what we will uh, infamously refer to as the baby wipe discussion um, uh, that was just not worth telling you all about, except just saying, I'm telling you, that it was scarce. We were a little nervous. We did not have to go that route, but a discussion was had uh, that will be remembered forever. And so some of you have had to get toys for a child or for someone that you love for Christmas, and uh, the item was scarce. It was hard to find. Um, there's a point where you have a low level of understanding of hope being lost. This idea uh, that uh, that you uh, are losing uh, the time for things to get better. If you're taking notes real quick, this is not in your notes, but I just wanted to give it to you. A little definition of hope. Hope is the belief that there is still time for things to get better. Let me say that again. Hope is the belief that there is still time for things to get better. Hope is one of those things that you don't realize the value of it until you don't have it any longer. Hope is something that is so valuable and such a great gift from Almighty God. Uh, and again, low level into hopelessness uh, has to do with kind of what we talked about, the toilet paper issue of 2020, the Christmas toy issue, or if you ever needed to go to the bathroom on a long trip and there was no place to stop. Some of you had this experience here in D.C. You got your family, your relatives on the mall, and uh, they had all this time to go to the bathroom, but they've decided for some reason at the Washington Monument that they want to use the bathroom right then, right there, and you're like, you have no idea. It's going to be a walk. Some of you are like, no, I seriously know where all the bathrooms are just in case the family comes into town. Any of you right there, raise your hand if that's you. I'm telling you, well, you want to travel with Jess, okay? She knows where all the bathrooms are. I'll never forget, so I'm driving home from Oklahoma State. And uh, I used to drive the back roads home, which was Highway 82. I uh, drove through West Texas from Burke Burnett uh, all the way down. You'd, you'd ride Interstate 44, basically to uh, Wichita Falls and Burke Burnett. And then you would cut off onto Highway 82 and drive uh, the back roads uh, from, uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, Wichita Falls all the way to Lubbock. And so there were tiny towns about every half hour. And so you had a place to stop about every 30 minutes. The problem is something happened uh, back my senior year in my senior year in high school, uh, they uh, there was a little town called Guthrie, and the three little towns that were in a row were Benjamin, Guthrie, and then Dickens. Some of you uh, who are from West Texas will know those three towns. It goes Benjamin, Guthrie, Dickens. Thirty miles in between each one, and uh, tiny little towns, but each one had a big truck stop. Well, back my senior year, they made a decision, kind of like in the movie Cars by Disney, that they were going to bypass the town of Guthrie uh, to build an interstate so that there weren't any stops in the middle of downtown. And so because of that, the gas station in Guthrie was the jewel on that little drive of if you had to go to the bathroom, they had this nice outdoor restroom area. It was all built up with stone. There was a stone wall that kids could walk around on, a little playground there in the back that kids could play on, and a really nice truck stop. But it's been bypassed because of the interstate. Well, one day, middle of the night, I drank a whole lot of coffee uh, driving, uh, trying to drive home from school, and I just kept thinking to myself, if I can just make it to Guthrie, if I can just make it to Guthrie, and all of a sudden, the interstate took a different path. 
Well, I exit to go into the town, and what to my wondering eyes should appear but a sign that says the gas station had been closed, and it said, thank you for your faithful 50 years of patronage. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? All I could think of was someone's going to take a picture of the preacher trying to pee on the side of the road, and then I'm going to be in real trouble. And so I just knew. I was like, Lord, what do I do? That feeling of hopelessness, what's going to happen? And so then a thought crossed my mind. What if... The restrooms are still working behind the truck stop. The big stone deal. I mean, they were not going to knock down all that stone. And so, I'm ashamed to tell you, I went back there, and I may have broken into the old truck stop restroom. Um, it was the door. I didn't have to do much to break in, and so I don't think I was the first uh, to make that decision. But I'm telling you, it was 30 miles in either direction before there was going to be anything close to a restroom. Some of you have heard of the 4-6 Ranch. The ranch that this little town is on uh, literally was one with four sixes in a poker game. That is the truth of the situation. I mean, there was nothing out there. But then seeing that restroom, there was a glimmer of hope. And then when I was able to get into it, I was relieved. It's all that to say, all that to say. Anyway, enough of that. All that was just to say, hope. A little hope goes a long way, doesn't it? It's something that you don't really appreciate until it's gone. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, we get a discussion about the hope that we have in Jesus. Look at what it says here, verse 3. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, look at this, into a living hope. Underline a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, that can never be taken away, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though, you, though now for a little while uh, you may have had suffer, to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refiner's fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your very souls. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find out is that in Jesus, we don't just have hope, this belief that there's time for things to get better. We have a living hope, something that cannot be taken away, and it says not just through Jesus, but through the power of the resurrection, knowing that this life is not the end. It is not just a hope that we have. It is a living, breathing hope. It is not something that will spoil or fade or expire. You ever gone to the fridge and there was expiration date on the food before? Some of you had that experience recently. There are two types of people in this world. The people like me who believe that the expiration date is on there for a reason. And then people like my wife who believe it's just really a suggestion. And so uh, she is one of those. Uh, really, she thinks that you got at least two months after something has expired. And I think that is gross. And so anyway, just want to lay that out there for you. Some of you, everybody falls into two different camps. Now here's the deal. The picture that we have with Jesus is there is no expiration date on that hope. It will never spoil. There is never a point you go to the fridge and that hope is useless. It will not fade. It does not expire. It will not spoil. The faith that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in him, is something that pays off in eternity. 
If you're taking notes, write this down. If we go anywhere but to God seeking hope, we will come back empty-handed. Let me say that again. If we go anywhere but to God seeking hope, we will come back empty-handed. One of the big conversations that we've had through the pandemic has been specifically about the virus and the fear that it stirs within your soul. And we've told people over and over again, look, take the virus seriously. Take again the precautions for your loved ones and for yourself very seriously. But listen to me, if you are afraid to die, that is something we can remedy right here, right now in the name Jesus Christ, amen? There's a difference between taking something very seriously and again, being cognizant and, and being sober-minded about something and being quaking in your boots that today could be the day you take your last breath. There really is no difference between today and any other day. It always rested in the hands of Almighty God. I wanna encourage you, if you came in quaking in your boots today to die, there is a remedy for that, a living hope that we have, and his name is Jesus Christ. So we're gonna address a million dollar question today. You ready for this? So what do we do when hope seems lost? What do we do when hope seems lost? I didn't put all hope seems lost today because all hope is never lost because of Jesus. But if you go through a day where you're going through it, you're going through a mess at work, you're going through a mess at home, you're going through a mess with illness, you're going through a mess where somebody who you love so deeply has passed away. I want to encourage you, there is hope today. And in the passage that we're about to read, we get to see how we should navigate that time of grief and despair. If you're taking notes, or excuse me, if you're if you're a, if you got your Bible today, open to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll continue our study of Elijah, beginning in verse 17. Now, a little disclaimer before we get started. Again, what uh, what do we do when all hope seems lost? The disclaimer is this: the passage we're about to read ends in a once in a millennia miracle that takes place. There is a young man who passes away that is going to be raised to life. I want to tell you today, this passage is not how to get a miracle. This passage is what to do when all hope seems lost. For some of you, you will experience in your time of crying out to God a true, miraculous, life-changing, spirit-altering moment. And for others of you, the Lord is going to lead you through the process of grief and difficulty, through despair, to a point where you can have hope again. The process is the same when going about the miraculous and also with God leading you down the path of coming to a point where you are healed. So what do we do when all hope seems lost? Now look at 1 Kings chapter 17 and we're gonna start in verse 17. Here's what it says next. It starts off some time later. Now the sometime later refers to Elijah during this time of, of drought where he has moved in uh, with the woman and her son. This woman is a widow uh, and her son are living there together at this house during the time of famine. And remember, they live in Jezebel's old country. And so this is a Baal-worshipping pagan village uh, that uh, God has called Elijah to and he's living in the house with this widow uh, and she is taking care of him with a jar of flour and a jar of oil, both of which have just about run dry and the Lord keeps providing for them miraculously uh, in this moment. It's a, it's a very, very powerful thing. So they've been living in the power of the miraculous for some time. Here's what it says next. But sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill 
and he grew worse and worse. And finally, he stopped breathing. Underline, he stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? Now stop right there for just a minute. What we have in this moment is not just days, weeks later, after the son passing away. This is in the moments that he's taken these last breaths. And all of a sudden, she's sitting there watching her son suffocate to death. And she looks at Elijah, and she starts to throw punches at him spiritually. She says, what is this? Man of God, have you come here to harass me? Have you come here to remind me of my sin? Now, what I love about that line that the commentators write about, the only sin that we know that this woman has committed is that she lives in a Baal-worshipping city. We don't know anything else about her personally up until this point. And she cries out, have you come here to remind me of my sin? She tries to get into this theological punching match with Elijah when the truth is she is navigating unthinkable grief. Watch what the man of God does. In verse 19, give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Stop right there for just a minute. Elijah could get into the theological punching match with this woman, but instead there is still hope available he can still pray in the midst of this dark, unthinkable moment of despair. And he looks at the woman and says, I know you have questions. I know you have hurts. I know you have baggage. But give me your son so that we can cry out to God. We still have time to pray. There is still hope in this circumstance. And that's a great thing to remember if some of you are going through something that is truly unthinkable. If there is time to pray, I beseech you spend time in prayer there'll be time to be angry later plenty of time when you can pray spend time in prayer he says to her give me your son you got to understand this he gets lost in translation sometime she then gives him the son what could end up being the last moments where there's warmth in his body and she gives him her son. And Elijah then goes to God. If you're taking notes, write this down. What do we do when all hope seems lost or when hope seems lost? All hope is never lost. What do we do when hope seems lost? Number one, go straight to God in prayer. Go straight to God in prayer. Just like Elijah, I have, I have uh, answers for you in that theological discussion that you have, but you wouldn't be able to hear me anyway, he says basically to the widow through his actions. Give me your son. Let's take this to the Lord. Let's ask him for help in this circumstance. Have you ever given God the raw details of a situation? We call this the principle of the first phone call when we do our marriage counseling and premarital counseling here at the church. The idea is that for communication to really take place, real intimacy happens in the first phone call after a situation has unfolded. That first phone call gets all the raw details, all the raw emotions. Think of it like this. Uh, if you've been in a situation where uh, something has happened where you, uh, where, you got a, uh, uh, where you got a raise at work, okay? That first conversation, I mean, something you really have been praying for, something you really have been waiting for. The first person gets, I got a raise. You're not going to believe this. I got a raise. And the second person gets, hey, guess what? 
I got a raise. And the third person gets the, uh, yeah, I had a pretty good day at work today. It wasn't so bad. I'm telling you, there's a lessening that happens after you've told the story over and over again. Then by the time you get to the third and fourth person in the phone call, it's a press release. It's what you're going to release on Facebook later, right? Or what you can put out on Twitter for what happened in your life, the picture that you're going to uh, cast for everybody to be able to see. With intimacy, that raw emotion, when you are truly working through something, God and those in your closest interpersonal circle are the ones that deserve that raw emotion. When it is grief, I want to encourage you. When it is hopelessness that you're navigating, I want to encourage you, bring it to God. Bring him the raw emotions. And then listen to this. Scripture tells us before a word is on our tongue that God knows it completely. Great little passage of Scripture. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and now flip over to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. We get the role of the Holy Spirit when there are no words to say what we're working through. Here's what it says. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in, according with God's, in accordance with God's will. What a beautiful way to say when we don't have the words, when we are there again thrashing at God because of the raw emotion that we are feeling, not understanding what it is that we're even praying for. Have you ever prayed to God for something you didn't even know what it was you were praying for? The beauty is, from Romans chapter 8, God knows through the voice of the Holy Spirit there are groans that the Spirit can make that fill entire conversations that he can have with Almighty God. The Spirit groans. He understands the struggle. And he intercedes for us. He translates for us. Now, just for the record, he doesn't just translate what we're saying to God. He also translates to us what it is that we're trying to say. It's one of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit. He is the counselor, not just in portraying what we need to God, but in helping us understand why we feel the way we feel, what we want when there are no words to describe it. If you're taking notes, it, it, uh, it brings up this question, who is getting your raw and imperfect words? Who is getting your raw and imperfect words? When trouble strikes you, is the first thing you do try to stir up a discussion with somebody else about why bad things would happen to good people? Or when there's still time on the clock, do you run to God in prayer? Look at what happens next. And this is a powerful set of verses here, starting in verse 20. Look at what happens. So again, the young man has died. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He takes him up in his arms, lays him on the bed where he was staying. And look at verse 20. It says, then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow that I am staying with by causing her son to die? Look at verse 21. Here's where the power is. Then he stretched out himself, he stretched himself out on the boy three times, underline three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Stop right there for just a minute. 
in it. Elijah is the great miracle worker of the Old Testament. In fact, when you study about Elijah in Hebrew culture, I'm telling you, he is the pinnacle of the miracle worker, stuff that we've read about in this study and things that we're going to read about moving forward. And here in this moment, Elijah doesn't just pray one time and the Lord takes care of it. It says three times he's crying out in desperation. There are some of you that feel this way. I prayed about it one time, therefore it must be taken care of. Now there's a point where you have faith that the Lord is interacting on your behalf. But sometimes that act of faith is not just praying once, but going back to it over and over and over again so that your eyes are open and you are cognizant of the work that God is doing on your behalf. The great miracle worker of the Old Testament threw himself on the boy three times in desperation and said, Lord, do what I can't do. Give him back to his mother. Now remember, this passage is not how to get your miracle. This passage is how to walk the path of despair, how to walk the path of hopelessness. Go to God in prayer. And number two, keep going to God in prayer. It's not something you just do one time. The journey of despair back to hopelessness, to that living hope that we have, is that we don't just pray, but that we keep going to the well, that we keep going to seek him until the day that he shows up and hears our cries. If you're taking notes, write this down. And some of you need to like really remember this. Are you ready? Even the greatest miracle worker had, had or even the greatest of miracle workers had to repeatedly ask for help. Let me say it again. Even the greatest of miracle workers had to repeatedly ask for help. So you ever feel this way? Like if somebody is more qualified or more uh, spiritual that they just have to ask for it once, but because I'm such a lousy believer, I have to ask numerous times. Elijah's the greatest miracle worker of all time, next to Jesus. And in this circumstance, he still has to ask three times in desperation. It's the same for you, too. We call this, in Scripture, pressing your plea. The idea is that you say, Lord, until this is solved... I need your help. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and now flip over to Proverbs chapter 6 and I want to read you verses 1 through 3. Proverbs 6, 1 through 3. In this passage, this is a discussion about uh, an individual who has lost control of his life uh, because it's in the hand of his neighbor. This is the same situation when things are happening beyond our control that only God can fix. Here's what it says in Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 3. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck hands and pledge for one another, if you have been trapped by what you've said and ensnared by the words of your mouth. Stop right there for just a minute. Verse 1 and 2 here are... If your life is now out of your control, it's out of your reach, look at what he says. Then do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into the hands of your neighbor. Go, humble yourself, and what? Press your plea with your neighbor. Do you know what press your plea means? It means go until there is resolution in the circumstance and pursue what you cannot gain on your own. Lord, I need your help. I'm pressing my plea with you. I humbly bow and kneel before you because I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Every Christmas, I watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorites. And I feel like I notice, I always watch on Christmas Eve, 
And I feel like I notice something different every time. This year, I got to read an article beforehand, and uh, it was on, uh, the movie was made in 1946, so right after World War II. It's one of the reasons it's a, it's a really cool period piece, because it was made, I mean, when all those emotions were still so raw and so fresh. And in the movie, uh, or 1946, uh, in real life, apart from the movie, Jimmy Stewart, the main character, had been a pilot in World War II and had at least three confirmed kills uh, while he was in the service. I read the article I was reading talked about how he was deeply hurt through this and was suffering some pretty heavy PTSD. And there's a scene in the movie where he's sitting at the bar and he's gripping his hands. He's been drinking and he's gripping his hands because he owes $8,000 that his crazy uncle has lost. $8,000 in those days might as well have been a million. There's nothing he can do. He's about to go to jail. His family's about to lose their livelihood. He's about to feel like a complete and total failure. There's a little life insurance policy in his name. And do you remember the scene? He's holding his hands and he begins to weep. The article talked about the reason that emotion was so raw during the 40s when that kind of emotion was not really on camera. They said he was going through the true PTSD of what he'd experienced in the war. He grips his hands and he says, Father, I'm not a praying man but I need you to help me. The most genuine, beautiful prayer. And knowing the story behind it, he prays the most genuine, beautiful prayer, honest prayer from Jimmy Stewart in that moment. Any of you who've watched the movie know the angels were working on his behalf. Man, there was so much that was stirring that the Lord was gonna do to provide for him and protect him. In fact, think about the history, 1946. The perspective of that movie, George Bailey's character, I mean, guess what's going to happen? A whole bunch of people are going to come back from war, have a whole bunch of babies. Many of you who are in this room are baby boomers, and so you know they were going to have a whole bunch of babies, and where does he work? The building and loan. They're going to build a whole bunch of houses, and he's about to be a rich man who changes the town. If he can just hold on, if he can just make it through that moment of despair to the other side of hopelessness, so he goes to Almighty God, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, and then how does it happen after that? A guy goes, are you George Bailey? Yeah. And he gets punched in the face. Do you remember? It's the teacher's husband that he had told off the teacher on the phone earlier. And then do you remember the line from Jimmy Stewart? It's what most of you do when you take the time to pray one time, and then all of a sudden difficulty comes at you. Remember he goes, oh, guess that's what I get for praying. Do you remember that? Guess that's what I get for praying. Was the Lord at work for George Bailey, even when he got punched in the face? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the entire town was about to come together and to help him get out of that stretch of trouble. The Lord was going to miraculously interact on his behalf. But in that moment, it looked like an even further plunge to rock bottom. Don't just pray and then when something else bad happens, flip the table and go, that's it. I'm not playing Monopoly with you anymore, God. I'm done. I'm out. I prayed, and nothing good happened from that time forward. The great miracle worker of all time, three times, laid himself out across the boy. Can I tell you why that's important? He didn't just go, uh, Lord, can you heal him? Lord, uh, can you please heal him? Lord, can you please, pretty please, heal him? To lay himself out across the boy, I mean, he was all in with this prayer, begging God, desperate, 
crying out to him for help. In our times of difficulty, go to God in prayer, but then press your plea. Continue going to him. And can I tell you what's happened in my own life? Either the Lord will bless and the miraculous will happen, or as I press my plea, the Holy Spirit, through the groans unexplainable, begins to change my heart and change my mind and help me find joy and peace in the midst of the unthinkable. In this circumstance, press your plea. It's because of that, I want to offer something to you this week. For some of the staff watching this, this will be the first time they get to hear about that. They always say they hate when I go on vacation because I come back and there's a whole bunch of work for them to do. And so uh, this is one of those circumstances. We're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Press your plea. Press your plea. I have a really special gift. And that is I have a key to that door right there. And I can come in this room anytime I want to. And so for me personally, when I press my plea, most of the time it happens right here. I come and I kneel at the altar. There's nothing mystical or magical. The Lord hears your prayers anywhere. But there is something special about having one of those monument mile marker moments where you kneel before God in prayer and truly cry out to him. One of the examples of that, by the way, is in 1 Samuel uh, with Samuel's mother when she prays that she would become pregnant. Um, where Mary, again, continues to pray and spend time with the angel. There are these monumental moments. A lot of times in Scripture, it's marked out by someone writing a song uh, that comes after Scripture because there's a monumental moment where they're crying out to God for help. This week, from 5 to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday, we don't have our small groups kicking off until the following week. But this week, Monday to Friday, starting tomorrow, 5 to 7, we're going to have the sanctuary opened up And I will be here each one of those nights. And then I'm asking several of our staff and our deacons to be here as well. We would love to pray with you and open up the altar so that you can press your plea with whatever it is that you need to put before the Lord. For some of you, it may be to beg God for financial help. I guarantee you, God's got access to all the financial resources in the world. Come and press your plea. For some of you, it might be for a family situation, for a health situation. For some of you, it might be that you've been away from loved ones for a long time and you hurt for them. I want to encourage you. Press your plea. You're going to have an opportunity, two hours each night this week, to have a mile marker stretch where you pray. Now, just for the record, you can also do it at home. That's totally fine. But I want you to know if you need that monumental moment, it's going to be available this week. It begs the, last, or begs the question, is it time you pressed your plea? Is it time that you pressed your plea? If that's you, the altar's going to be open this week. Now let's flip back over to 1 Kings 17 and we'll finish up the story. Verse 22, it says that then the Lord heard Elijah's cry. I want you to underline Elijah's cry. This is not just Elijah's spoken word. This is not just Elijah's request. This is something that has such deep emotions attached to it. The Lord heard Elijah's pressed plea. He heard Elijah's cry for resolution in this circumstance. He heard Elijah's emotion 
It says, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room uh, into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is from your mouth, from your mouth is the truth. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find here from the Lord is that after Elijah goes to him in prayer, after he continues going to God in prayer, that then when the Lord shows up in that moment of despair and desperation, it cultivates a harvest of faith in the widow who had lost her son. If you're taking notes, write this down. What do we do when all hope seems lost? Number one, go straight to God in prayer. Number two, keep going to God in prayer. And number three, wait for God to hear your cries. Wait for God to hear your cries. Patience in understanding his timing is so key because the Lord is working not just on one level with what's in front of you, but on so many different levels with what you are navigating. Wait for God to hear your cries. And then in his perfect timing, he will produce a harvest of faith. If you're taking notes, little uh, last little quote today, God is not absent or forgetful. His, pay, his perfect timing produces a harvest of faith. God is not absent or forgetful. His perfect timing produces a harvest of faith. We lived this firsthand, and anytime I read this passage of Scripture, it always takes me back to a story that many of you have heard several times, so I won't bore you with the long version. But we had a situation when um, my daughter Lulu had her first seizure, and it was very scary. Some of you in this room have had seizures or you have loved ones that have had seizures. The first one is by far the scariest because you have no clue that it's coming. After that, you're kind of watching for stuff. But the first time is super scary because you don't really know what's happening. And um, I remember we were about to fly to California. Uh, once, uh, once a year up until that point, I got to go and speak to a group of uh, Ethiopian college students from uh, USC out in California. And uh, you'd fly into LA and then drive about two hours up the mountainside. It's, California's crazy because you'd fly in and it'd be 80 degrees in LA. And then you'd drive two hours up the mountains and it'd be like 20 degrees. Uh, that first year that I preached this event, I wore all my clothes at night because I had just brought like a bed sheet to sleep. I thought it was going to be hot. And so I just brought a bed sheet to cover myself up with. I'm like wearing my jacket to sleep in because it was so cold up there uh, in the mountains. Well, the next year, I'm like, we should bring the family. Disney World's real close, or Disney Disneyland is real close. I said, we ought to bring the family with us and all fly in together. It was over New Year's Eve. That's why it's top of mind for me. It was over New Year's Eve and just thought that'd be great. And so we're six hours before getting on the plane. And then all of a sudden, our sweet daughter Lulu, she's laying on the bed next to me taking a nap. And all of a sudden, she starts to throw up on me. And I just thought maybe she was laying wrong or something, and she just starts throwing up on me. Well, I pick her up, and she's dazed out of her eyes, and I thought she was just still sleepy. And so I said, we got to get you cleaned up before we get you on the plane. So we take her, and we kind of put her in the shower, and then all of a sudden, she shoots her arms out like tree branches and then has the first ever seizure uh, that she had ever had. And so arms shoot out like the tree branches, and we're scared. We don't know what to do. Um, we actually called Jamie Clack first. Uh, Jamie, her family had navigated some seizures and family here in the church, and, they, and Jamie said, make sure you call the ambulance right now. She goes, I think this is a seizure, but call the ambulance right now. So we did. Lulu stops, and when she finally stops her seizure, she collapses to the ground. 
Well, again, we know now she had expelled an entire day's worth of energy in a matter of a few minutes, and so she was exhausted. But we're trying to wake her up, and her body is completely and totally lifeless. I had an understanding of what was happening to the woman in this passage. And it's interesting. Some people, when they get nervous, they talk a whole bunch. I talk a lot for a living. When I get nervous, I don't say a word. And I'm so silent. And when the paramedics came in, they asked me if I could pick up Lulu. And I remember I picked her up and I carried her. And it was just like pitchers of water. Like I wasn't like convulsing crying. It was just like they were just flowing like a waterfall down my cheeks, just the water coming down. And I remember the scared moments I was most scared is they took an IV and they missed when they tried to land the IV. And she didn't even flinch or move. And then they got her again, and blood shot out everywhere. It was, it was just so frightening. And then she didn't move. And I remember I just kept my hands on her. I just kept praying, God, let her wake up. Just please let her wake up. Please let her wake up. I'd ask the nurses. Have any of you ever been in a situation like that? I asked the nurses. I kept saying, she's going to wake up, right? She's going to wake up, right? And I mean, they would just say, uh, we hope so, sir. We hope so. And I remember I just kept praying, God, please let her wake up. Four hours, she was unconscious. Four hours. Masai, who was the leader of the Ethiopian ministry, I called him to tell him that I wasn't going to be able to be there. And I mean, I don't know how he heard anything on the phone. I was crying so hard. And I remember Masai said, we have 150 Ethiopian college students here. And he said, we are all interceding for your daughter right now. And he said, we will be until she wakes up. And sure enough, she wakes up, and it was the most miraculous moment. I can tell you this, because there's some of you who've been through those circumstances where they don't wake up. The process is the same in leading you back to peace and in leading you to joy out of the darkness of despair. You go to God in prayer. You press your plea. You continue to go to God in prayer, to throw yourself across what you're praying for. And then you wait. You beg God for a double portion of patience so that when he does show up, you'll know what to do. It begs our final question of the day. Have you released control of the schedule? Have you released control of the schedule? If you haven't, I promise you, you're trading patience for anger. Don't miss that. You're trading patience for anger. You gotta let God have the timing. God cannot be late, amen? He cannot be late. When he shows up, it's right on time and when the most faith can be produced in your circumstances. I love you guys. Sometimes I wish the Lord could just give me happy fun messages for the first one of the year. I'm telling you, you guys are too big of warriors for that. Trust the Lord. He will show up. He is going to lead you through the time of darkness. And hopelessness, hopelessness is not for the believer. We have a living hope, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time, but there is something powerful 
about acknowledging the songs that we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and the scripture that we've read, and how we're different because of those things. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? If I'm being honest, I'm in a time of hopelessness. With nobody looking but just me, I just want to pray for you that the Lord would fill you. Remember hope, believe that there's still time for things to get better. With nobody looking but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that my eyes would be open to hope? If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you, that takes guts. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But the Lord is there for you. I want to encourage you just to pray that simple prayer. Maybe that George Bailey prayed and it's a wonderful life. Lord, I know I may not always come to you, but help me open my eyes to hope. Lord, help me open my eyes to hope. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I prayed, but I need to press my plea, whether it be at the church this week or whether it be at your home. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, I'm making a commitment today. I'm going to press my plea. I'm not just going to throw up the prayer one time. I'm going to continue to ask God until there's resolution. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you are committing to press your plea this week, if you would just indicate so by lifting your hand where you are right now. That's powerful. That's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. It is a powerful process. Pray until there is resolution. The Lord has you on a journey, and he is shaping you to look like his son. He is forming you towards courage, towards peace, towards an inexpressible joy. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you. Just pray this simple prayer. Lord, I commit to press my plea. Lord, I commit to press my plea. And last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need patience. I've been praying. I've been asking God for peace. I've been asking God for joy. I've been asking God for resolution. But I've just been getting so angry. I can preach it because I've been there. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that God would give me courage where my anger has been. Pray that God would give me courage where my grief has been. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. But just pray this simple prayer that I pray all the time. God, give me a double portion of patience. God, give me a double portion of courage. God, give me a double portion of patience. God, give me a double portion of courage. I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. We're about to sing one more song together. I'm going to pray for us. We'll sing one more song together. And then we'll jump in and close today. 
Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, for those who have come in today without hope, I pray they would remember that in Christ we have a living hope, something that cannot expire, something that cannot spoil, something that can never be taken away. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move in our midst today. Lord, for those coming in hopelessness, I pray that you would open their eyes that you would help them see that there is still time for things to get better. Lord, I pray for those who need to go to you in prayer to press their plea. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, hear their cries. And Lord, for those who need patience and courage, provide it in a double portion. We love you, Lord. We look to the future without fear. You are acting on our behalf. Open our eyes to see it. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.